Hey everyone, Jason and Derek here. For the next three episodes of Last Days, we'll be exploring the most iconic deaths of Saturday Night Live stars in the show's nearly 50-year history. Today's episode, Chris Farley. Brian, from what I've heard, you're using your paper not for writing, but for rolling doobies. You're going to be doing a lot of doobie rolling when you're living in a van down by the river. On October 27, 1997, Chris Farley returned to host SNL for the first time since he was let go from the show more than two years before. The episode has a few funny moments, but the talk both backstage among his castmates and with audiences at home was all about how Farley labored through his performance. He struggled to deliver his lines without gasping for breath, and his voice was threadbare and hoarse. You can really hear it in the show's opening skit, in which cast member Anna Gasteyer chastises Farley for resting on her dressing room couch instead of being on stage for his monologue. Chris, what are you doing in my dressing room? The show's already started. This is your dressing room? This used to be my dressing room. Ew. <laughs> you know, look, look at yourself. You know what? You know, Tim Meadows went out on a limb for you, and this is how you repay him? You are one foxy lady. <laughs> Always a heavy man, Farley was bigger than ever. Just five foot eight, he weighed nearly 300 pounds when he filmed the episode, making it difficult for him to perform the over-the-top physical antics for which he was so famous. He sweated profusely during every scene, and he was in obvious physical distress throughout the episode. Everyone on set, from the producers and cast members to Farley's famous friends, including Chris Rock and Chevy Chase, who made cameos in the episode, saw Farley struggling and knew he'd been using drugs and alcohol throughout rehearsal week. And those closest to him recognized just how deep Farley's problems were, that he was spending thousands of dollars a night on crack cocaine, heroin, ecstasy, alcohol, and often cavorting with prostitutes as much for the companionship as for the sex. And so, when Farley walked away from SNL that night, many feared what ultimately came to be, that he would never again appear on stage, and all they were left to do was mourn one of the funniest and kindest men they'd ever known. I'm Jason Beckerman. I'm Derek Kaufman, and this is Last Days, Chris Farley. After Farley's SNL episode wrapped just about after 1 a.m. on Sunday morning, he and a group of friends, including SNL cast members David Spade, Norm MacDonald, and Adam Sandler, went to the Scores Strip Club, where Farley spent nearly $2,000 on drinks and lap dances, and several witnesses at the club said he was doing lines of cocaine in the bathroom. This was obviously a disappointing turn of events for Farley, who'd spent much of the prior year in rehab and by all indications was clean of drugs and alcohol for a period of time. He'd worked a lot during this period as well. First, he was a presenter at the Oscars. He traveled back and forth to Los Angeles to record lines for a new lead role in an animated movie called Shrek. And he was also in talks with famed director David Mamet. He was going to take on the lead role for a biopic about silent film era star and pratfall master Fatty Arbuckle. For those of you who don't know David Mamet, this is not a man who does comedies. Uh, so the Arbuckle role was actually a departure for Farley and would have rep represented this huge opportunity for Chris to become a serious actor, something he hadn't done to that point. By late summer 1997, however, Farley had fallen off the wagon. He reportedly got so drunk at a party celebrating the Planet Hollywood opening in Indianapolis that he passed out in the hotel lobby, was unable to even make it up to his hotel room, 
And in a September interview with Playboy, he made a not-so-subtle reference to the fact that he was using again, noting that his, quote, demons once again had a hold on him. And did they ever. The Monday after he hosted SNL, Farley missed an appearance on The Howard Stern Show, where he was scheduled to talk about the performance on SNL and to kick off a promotional tour for the release of an upcoming movie called Almost Heroes. And over the next six-plus weeks, Farley blew off a bunch of additional appearances and really did confirm rumors that the drug and alcohol habits that he had kicked had returned in full. I remember this period, Jason. I remember when he was doing the promotional tours for Almost Heroes, and Chris Farley was one of my favorites, always very large. He was noticeably larger during these promotions and noticeably sweatier. Like in that SNL performance, you could see he was coming apart at the scenes, and if you followed him closely, uh, it just didn't look right. Something sounded off about him, even though he's so full of manic energy and could really rise to the occasion in some of the appearances, something was off. In watching videos and interviews uh, for this podcast um, that were done immediately, the interviews were done immediately after his death, a lot of people talked about that, about how he had seemed so good for so long, and there was no real expectation that he would remain sober forever, that wasn't who he was, but they hoped he had sort of reached a new baseline that was below where he had been before, and everybody talked about how in this two months, three months, it came roaring back in, in really obviously a tragic way, yeah. by, by mid-December, uh, so so again, he's on SNL in late October, by mid-December, Farley returned to Chicago where he'd hoped to rest for the holidays. Instead, he went on a four-day bender that is almost impossible to imagine. On Sunday, December 14th, Farley, who through it all remained a completely devout Catholic, attended church and then met up with a group of friends at a local bar. He drank heavily, talked with fans, bought rounds of drinks for the bar, He left relatively early, claiming he had to rest for a call-in appearance with Howard Stern to make up for the appearance that he'd missed in October. Instead, he met his drug dealer and then went home with a woman by the name of Heidi Hauser. We'll hear about her in a minute. She was a prostitute with whom Farley had grown close. And Chris snorted cocaine and heroin, drank heavily, and predictably missed his call with Stern the next morning. When his management team couldn't get a hold of him, they called police who went to his apartment to do a welfare check. They found Farley alone, lying on the floor and unconscious. He was rushed to the hospitals. He was able to be revived by doctors. He was treated for an overdose of cocaine and heroin, and he was released into the custody of a family member the very next day. December 16th. Yeah, you would imagine yeah. this scare would 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 scare At him least straight. Give him a brief pause in, in in the abuse, but yeah, he was apparently though undeterred by this episode. He goes out that night to a Chicago restaurant with friends. So you can imagine he's found, he's resuscitated, he's unconscious. Rather than looking in the mirror and taking stock of his life, saying maybe this is rock bottom. Or just stay in and watch a movie for a night. It didn't happen. Yeah. He goes out. He goes to the Chicago restaurant with friends. He's reportedly in good spirits. He's joking and laughing, a big jovial spirit, uh, of course, drinking before returning to his place where he then does all manner of drugs. We've talked about the cocaine and heroin. Those were sort of the two of choice most of the time. The next morning, December 17th, Chris Farley goes to a party at a friend's house in the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago and then back to his place with a group of people. He called Hauser, that was his friend, the, Heidi, the, Hauser, Heidi yeah. Hauser, who he had struck up this friendship with. She really was more than a prostitute in his life. She was a companion of sorts, someone who maybe was paid money for, for sexual activities, but also became close to him in some respects. Well, we know that 
sometimes it didn't have sex and he would still pay her. So, so he, w- which is all good. Sure. Uh, no, no judgment made that he needed a companion and she was there for him. He paid the, the, the price and money for it, but nevertheless, they were, she was his companion. Absolutely. So Heidi Hauser later told police that when she arrived that day, Farley was snorting cocaine already. And he told her that he hadn't slept for three days and wanted to keep it going. So he's on a, in the middle of what is an epic bender during the next few hours, he does more cocaine, goes to McDonald's for Big Macs, fries, and Cokes. This was a man of enormous appetites and buys three bottles of vodka. So he is in the midst of an all-out four-day sort of drug-fueled affair. That afternoon, two of them went to Heidi's house, and at 8.45 p.m., Farley calls his drug dealer and has him deliver $1,000 worth of heroin and crack cocaine. At 10.05 p.m., Farley and Hauser went to Farley's apartment, where, according to Hauser, Farley starts mixing the cocaine and heroin together to form what's commonly known as a speedball. This is not the first you'll, the last time you'll hear about a speedball and an SNL figure. Yep. Uh, before snorting the mixture, Hauser commented to investigators that Farley would often pound on his chest between hits, a sure sign that the cocaine was causing the arteries around his heart to spasm, which is a common precursor to a heart attack. Again, as Jason mentioned, at this point in his life, he's five foot eight and he's over 300 pounds. So this is a man not in good physical health and the cocaine is obviously starting to take effect. Hauser claimed that she'd never seen Farley do so many drugs in such a short period of time and that by three o'clock a.m. she'd simply had enough. Uh, but that Farley wanted to keep partying at that point. So Hauser told investigators she wanted to leave and asked to be paid for her time. Farley did not take that well. He broke down, begged Hauser to stay, saying he didn't want to be alone. The two had an argument, and according to Hauser, Farley tried to do a comedy pratfall on his living room floor. It's something you've seen him do on stage a million times. This is what he was known for. He would bash through coffee tables and so forth. He was doing it now in an effort to show how despondent he was that she was leaving. I suspect there was a little comedy bit involved. You know, it was a pratfall, she said, but also he desperately wanted her to stay. Uh, She said that as soon as he hit the floor, he appeared to fall asleep, which she apparently found hilarious. So Heidi pulled out a camera and took two photographs of the fallen Farley she thought would be funny to show him the next day. She said she bent down to kiss him goodbye, noticed he was still breathing, and left. Around 2 o'clock the ne- that, that afternoon, remember this is at 3 a.m., 2 o'clock that afternoon on December 18th, Chris's younger brother, John, went to Chris's apartment and used his key to enter. He found Chris just as Hauser had left him, lying on his living room floor in nothing but pajama bottoms with drugs strewn about. Paramedics pronounced Chris Farley dead 30 minutes later. He was 33 years old. Not surprisingly, the Cook County Medical Examiner later determined the cause of death to be an accidental overdose of cocaine and heroin, compounded by a 90% narrowing of the arteries supplying the heart muscle. Chris Farley was a ticking time bomb, and the speedball just lit the fuse. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. 
Now, it should be noted that Heidi Hauser is a somewhat controversial figure, and it's yeah. because of these last moments with Chris Farley. So she took these photographs, which she admits to taking before leaving that night, and you can find these online. They are a, a word of warning about them. They're horrific to look at. Yeah, they really um, are. They're very, very upsetting photos. You can find them. We're not going to put them up on, on, on our episode, but they are out there if you're curious and want to see them. And they are, uh, they're haunting, yeah. for, for lack of a better word. The way she describes leaving Chris Farley, giving him a kiss on the cheek and taking a few photos that she thought would be good for a laugh don't really line up with the reality of what these photographs look like. Yeah. Uh, this looks like a man in a deep, deep state of health distress and just a medical emergency if, if and nothing less. For what it's worth, I, I tried to find whether or not any cops had ever looked into, you know, potentially prosecuting her for leaving him, but she says she left him alive and the medical examiner uh, agreed with that. She, The medical examiner said that Farley died well after she had left. So she left him asleep. Obviously, he had done a huge amount of drugs uh, the night before in her presence. She never really admits that she had done drugs with him. So I guess there's nothing to prosecute her for. Uh, but nevertheless, it, a lot of people were very critical of her actions, especially the taking of the photographs for good reason rubs people the wrong way and then these photographs are now out so and she took them so presumably they leaked but but maybe it was through the investigation yeah and now to give her the benefit of the doubt she did have a a relationship with chris farley she had seen him do drugs before again he was 300 pounds so he's a man of these big appetites yeah. it may not have been entirely out of the ordinary to see him do drugs go on a multi-day bender where he's awake so her level of alarm might not have been as high as it seems in retrospect it should have been so that's heidi hauser and their relationship. What about his other friends? We, we, we told the story about how he's, he's on SNL back in October. He's clearly using, everybody knows it. He goes out to dinner with the very famous people that he, he works with, Sandler and McDonald and, and Spade. He's drinking there. Any, it's not culpability, right? He, Chris Farley's a man that's not going to be deterred from. He's from a thirty-three-year-old adult, and he's in the full throes of dependency it just, and addiction. You know, if if you were a huge addict, I'd have a difficult time going out to dinner with you and watching you drink when I know you have been in and out of rehab and you're now breaking your sobriety. I just wonder what was sort of going through these mind, their minds. Was there? And they they talk about the fact they tried a million times to get him sober, and it just wasn't in the cards. But you don't have to cut off your friendship, I guess, with somebody when they're doing this. Yeah, I mean, I think these are fair questions to ask. They had tried to intervene. He had gone to rehab before. It seemed like he was simply uh, not willing to address the problem that right. was right in front of him. Or not and able they, to. Really. Or not able yeah. to. He was yeah. really in, in, a, in a crippling state of addiction. And his friends had, at that point, a couple of choices. Either sever him entirely from their lives, which is a risk in into itself, right? This was a desperately Chris lonely Farley's man. Chris Farley's going to drink and do drugs, whether or not... It's with the, his his famous friends or not. He's That's gonna right. find somebody to do it with. And do you yeah. want to have whatever moments you have with your friends still alive? Yeah. I mean, this was a very close person to them. I don't think they wished him any harm. I just don't think. I think they might have felt helpless to there, actually stop this. There was an interview done with Al Franken literally the day Farley died. As news was breaking, he happened to be around CNN headquarters, and he wrote on SNL, knew Farley well. Um, and his first line when they asked him his thoughts about Chris Farley's death were. It's not surprising. And he was he was very troubled by it. But he, we, we, he said he said this is a man who 
I forgot exactly what he's, but, but loved food and he loved other things too. And it's just not surprising he's dead. Yeah. It's a remarkable statement. The man was 33 years old and Al Franken's first response is, I'm not surprised right. at all that this man passed away. It gives you a, a, a sense of the extent of the addiction and what people saw up close. Now, I do want to differentiate what I believe is maybe the culpability or sort of some of the blame to go around yeah. to friends like Adam Sandler and David Spade. I want to differentiate that from what I think Lorne Michaels did, which I think is absolutely more... Or, um, it's worth a bigger discussion. It's worth a larger discussion yeah. because Lauren Michaels put Chris Farley in the throes of all these problems as the host of SNL. And not only did he do that and say later that he didn't know of the addiction problems, they played it for laughs. Uh, really in the beginning of that episode, there's a joke between Tim Meadows and Chevy Chase about Chevy Chase being a poor sponsor. They're they're openly laughing yeah. and mocking the fact that Chris Farley's going through these problems with another known cocaine addict by his own admission, Chevy yeah. Chase, and making sort of a mockery of this guy in distress. Yeah, I mean, Al Franken, again, he talked a lot about this. He, he said that this, S this SNL episode, the one that Farley hosted, he called it disturbing because it so clearly exploited the problems Farley was having. Everyone knew he was using cocaine again, yet the first get, to your point, tries to make a laugh about that. And then the rest of the show is basically one long fat joke yeah. uh, at the expense of a man who's struggling terribly with his weight. I mean, I, I, I think we don't know exactly what he weighed when he was on SNL a couple years before, but I'm guessing another 50 pounds heavier yeah. and, and, and so unhealthy just to call him unhealthy is an understatement. Uh, Chris Rock was more pointed, criticizing SNL for leaning in so hard on Farley's weight throughout his SNL tenure without taking into account how it affected Farley. Rock, and this is a point that Bob Odenkirk also became very famous, Better Call Saul, um, made. He was a writer on SNL at the time, too. They, and Rock echoed this. They call out the legendary Chippendale skit. This is the one where the big blubbery Farley competes shirtless against the ripped and toned Patrick Swayze for a job dancing for the Mail Review. At the end of the sketch, the guy comes up to Farley and goes, uh, you're fat and disgusting and blah, blah, blah. So it's Farley standing next to uh, Patrick, Patrick, Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Well, guess what? If the guy goes to Patrick Swayze and goes, you're just not our type. We like our dancers to be more like so-and-so here. It's, it's still funny. Right. And Farley feels better about himself. But this guy's fat. He's naked. He's standing there. And you're, he just danced for you. This is a fascinating perspective because one thing you have to respect Chris Rock for is his comedic instincts. And he's saying here that there's another way to have ended this skit that might not have been as emotionally traumatic for Chris Farley, who battled insecurities. You know, the story you hear most often about Chris and his SNL days is that the person he was actually closest to was the person he played on the Chris Farley show skits where, skits where he was deeply humble, sort of embarrassed, would ask Paul McCartney questions uh, about like being in the Beatles nervously. That was who the real Chris Farley was. All of the people at SNL, the writers and producers knew that was the real Chris Farley. And yet they preyed on the insecurities for a cheap joke in the S in the Chippendale skit, which is fine. It's a legendary skit. But Chris is simply pointing out there was another way to, to do this and end it in a funny way. You didn't need to add that he's extra saying, hammer. He's saying there were consequences for this. Yeah. And you may not want to recognize those consequences. But here is my friend, all of our friend. Everybody loved Farley. We'll talk about that in a minute. Everybody loves Farley. And you are playing this for a gag when it is hurting this guy. And you didn't. And look, Farley is signed up for this, right? He is signed up as the fat guy, and he is. And he, you know, he participates. He's in on in the every, joke. He's in on the joke. 
but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And you could have been equally funny, but you took the lower hanging fruit here just to make fun of the funny guy and end with the like you funny guy, you fat guy, you can't even get the gig. And it didn't have to be that way. Absolutely. Part of the humor of the end of that skit is you see that Chris Farley's wounded by the words yeah. of this guy saying you're fat and disgusting. And that's part of the humor. And now it's hard for me even to sort of watch the skit with, in the same way. So Rock, as you said, is, is hitting on something really important here that his closest friends talked about after he died, which is that Farley had these profound insecurities about his weight. And as much as that's the central tenet of his comedic persona, it also made him a target for criticism and body shaming. And he himself was deeply ashamed of carrying around so much weight. This was a theme in his life. Norm MacDonald actually talked about this to Howard Stern in the context of the shame that Farley felt as a youngster about his father's weight. But I do remember him telling me, you know, when he was a boy, you know, his father was uh, like 600 pounds. I didn't know that. And I remember him telling me that as a boy, he would walk with his father and, and all he would hear was the, the talk, you know. People goofing on the dad? Yeah. Yeah. yeah behind that him. was his sadness. As a young boy. And I don't think that ever left him. Yeah, you can. it must have been unimaginable to live with this kind of shame as a kid. Chris Farley also looked up to his father. He yep. was an enormous man, physically and sort of in personality, if you hear him talked about. And Chris trying to reconcile with his father's weight, hearing the Snickers behind his back, and then realizing that he's become the next generation of this person in his family, where people are laughing at him, sort of with him, but because in that uncomfortable as funny in between. As, as funny as Chris Farley was... As rich as he became, he was, you know, famous as he was, he knew that people were still laughing behind his back. And it happened. I, I mean, I don't have firsthand proof, but certainly it happened. People, he was still the fat guy. And right. He lived his whole childhood being ashamed of his father and his his obesity. Yeah. And now he realizes at 20, whatever age he first realized that, that he was becoming that guy and he felt great. And his, his best friends talk about the shame that he felt in that. But, yeah, the line between yeah. sort of laughing with someone and laughing at them is razor thin and right. he was always on the edge of that. David Spade, his best friend and frequent collaborator, obviously on Tommy Boy and in Black Sheep and movies like that, has spoken openly about Farley's struggles with self-doubt and insecurities and how that led him directly into addiction, first to food, of course, and then to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, but for better or for worse, this is who Chris Farley was. He got off on making people laugh, and he found that the easiest way to do that was to lean into his weight. He talked about first finding his comedic voice as a child at camp doing physical comedy. But of course, w when you're Farley's size, physical comedy is just a euphemism for using your weight for laughs. Farley carried this through the Second City in Chicago and SNL, where, as we've said, every skit, nearly every skit he played, uh, was it played off his weight in one way or the other. And of course, it was the same with uh, Tommy Boy and Black Sheep and Beverly Hills Ninja. All these other things were just fat guy pratfall kind of stuff. Yep. Um, not to say they weren't funny, uh, but that's what they were. Farley himself never talked publicly about his weight or his addictions in any serious way, always opting to make the audience laugh rather than to allow them to understand his struggle. So she tried to make me lose weight, and so she put me on Weight Watchers and had Weight Watchers all up and down the refrigerator, and she had the ice cream in there, and I'd come home from after school, watch reruns of Gilligan's Island, and take that gallon of Weight Watchers ice cream and eat it, and my mom would go, Christopher, I know it's Weight Watchers, but it doesn't work when you eat the whole gallon. <laughs> 
Yeah, I watched some of those late night clips, and he would always play it as a family anecdote for laughs. He was yeah. constantly in performance mode. You never really saw a heart to heart with Chris Farley, a sort of serious examination of his feelings. I mean, for for better or, or worse, that yeah. was just the the persona he put on throughout life. So, what's a counterfactual here? Chris Farley doesn't die this day. Chris Farley's going to die soon. Yeah, he, he's just living a life. He's he's a man who's been gripped by addiction for a long, long time. He's gone through periods of sobriety that have never taken. You know, we like to say that what if he had kicked it? It's hard to even engage in the hypothetical here. If you listen to his friends and in interviews, he was just a man that was never going to kick this. Yeah, he had an addictive personality. The the stories that you remember most from his friends, uh, they'll always tell it if you hear interviews, is that he would go out to these steak restaurants. He would order the largest steak possible on the menu, and he would put a pat of butter on his knife for each bite of the steak. So yeah. if it wasn't drugs and alcohol, it was his food addiction. Something was going to cripple him and, and sort of uh, make his life short than it should have been. Now, maybe he could get really into CrossFit. Some people who battle addiction yeah. find other addictions. They get really into exercise or something like that. I don't really see it happening. The with sliver Chris of Farley. hope I see is the David Mamet role. It's a serious role. And I wonder if maybe that would turn the corner for him. Maybe he's not just playing fat guy, fun, funny fat guy. I, I want to talk seriously about this because I was a big Chris Farley fan. Do we think Chris Farley had the chops to pull off a serious dramatic role? I don't think we saw any know. evidence of his depth as an actor to even make that call. I, I hope and I wish that this David Mamet project would have become something serious and he wins Academy Awards. But I don't even feel like I can really say that because none of the roles he did. Almost Heroes has a few poignant moments. Although Sandler pulled it off, right? Yes. Sandler, Sandler made the switch. That's right, exactly he did. right. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's to a know. hard call. It, yeah. What what it, what isn't hard is when he. If, I've heard the clip of him trying out his voice for Shrek. I think that movie and that franchise would have been entirely different with Chris Farley as the voice. No, no shade to Mike Myers. You know, tremendous job, right? hugely successful. He defines that Shrek character. But if I knew that, uh, you know, uh, the fat ogre, the fat ugly ogre, was played by Chris Farley, who battled these kind of demons and insecurities, I think there would have been a poignancy that is missing in Mike Myers just doing kind of a funny Scottish yeah. brogue. Yeah, um, I so I can imagine that movie being different. Thought Farley's famous cadre of friends. They, again, we've talked about they've even scores of interviews about Chris in the 25 years since his death, his death. And the inescapable conclusion is that there may never have been a more beloved or more mourned friend and co-worker than Chris. David Spade, Chris Rock, Tim Meadows, Conan O'Brien, Al Franken, they all cried literally in interviews. They shed tears for the guy and talk about how profoundly they were affected both by his life and by his death. But most poignant is Adam Sandler, who read a song about Chris, which he debuted on SNL a few years ago. The last big hang we had was at Timmy Meadows' wedding party. We laughed all night long, all because of Farley. But a few months later, the party came to an end. We flew out to Madison to bury our friend. Nothing was harder than saying goodbye Except watching Chris's father have his turn to cry 